Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I mean, I felt ashamed uh, for being black. To this day, there's certain times where you kind of that that sort of comes to you but as you get older you kind of deal with that as a child yeah I, I certainly felt ashamed uh you get made fun of you you're in a different country it's a different culture you don't have family here it's you know and then you don't really have your accents different so you don't have the the quick comebacks and so forth so yeah Welcome to Model Minorities. This is a show about work and life told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. Basically what we're all thinking about, but probably not talking enough about. Whether you're black, white, brown, yellow, gay, straight, boy, girl, or anything in between. This is a show about all of you for all of us. So today we're talking to Bevan Bonham, an ER resident. That is a fancy word for up and coming doctor in the New York area. I really learned a lot of things about I did. One of the the interesting things I learned about him is that he makes a much better curry than you do, Raman. So (laughs) he's much more Indian than you are. (laughs) We, uh, so, okay. Bevan's a friend. I'll just go ahead and put that out there. We had him and his family over, we're daycare dad buddies. That's how we met. Our daughters are in daycare together. And we had them over for New Year's, just, you know, since we're young families. And I was like, I'm totally going to make Indian food for my friends. And he comes over, he's like, oh, I just happened to make a pot of curry. And he just like completely outdid me. He's more right. Indian than I am. And he's a black South African Yeah. Guy. Meanwhile, he's African. <laughs> so uh, he's so not I, Indian at all. I, I've told my daughter she has to call him Bevanante now. That's so. funny. That's funny. Um, he talked to us a lot about what it was like to first grow up in Africa, but then to come over into the U.S. and and what his childhood was like. And I think something that really struck me that completely made me think differently was that he had a hard time fitting in with the other black kids. And it occurred to me as he was talking that that's because he was an African, an African, like not an African-American, but someone from Africa, from South Africa, coming into America. And the black American kids, the African-American kids were looking at him as if he were a foreigner, which I think for when I thought about that from a Chinese American perspective, I totally understood. But I never thought about that from any for other black people, race for, for black, black people. Yeah, just to be honest, like for black people. And that that kind of just that kind of blew me away for a little bit. Like I just found myself really listening hard at how he could feel like he completely that he was a foreigner in a land amongst people that looked like himself. Like it was it was it was really interesting well, to learn so about that. Does 
your husband's Caribbean. He's black as well. Does does yep. he face that? Because you know Caribbeans are at least from. I mean, technically it's an island, but it's on our continent side of the world. It's not. Yeah. No, I mean he's he grew up in the U.S. Right, so he's a yeah. he's a black guy from Brooklyn. Like he's he's kind of like he's like me in the way that we think about our relationship with the country. Yeah, we're but, more American than Chinese or Indian. Yeah, yeah. But what is interesting is he doesn't refer to himself as African American, even though the Africans went over to to the Caribbean and then the you know then they migrated into the U.S. So Black Caribbeans have Af- are of African descent. I mean, I guess we all are of African descent. Like we all, you know, kind of track back there. Um, so there are times when people will refer to him as African-American or whatever, but he will, you know, he'll refer to himself as a Caribbean American. Yeah. And the thing that just gets me emotional in all of these conversations is when I hear about relationships with parents, um, there's a lot of common threads that I'm like, okay, we're all alike, but, uh, very different too. He talks about both his mom and dad um, in Africa and in the U.S. and their perceptions of, of race. And it's just, and coming out of South Africa, which just has a storied history of, I mean, ap- he grew up in apartheid. Yeah. He is, d- doesn't define himself as black. He defines himself as colored, which was a very specific definition of being mixed in South Africa. And there was like a, a hierarchy and a ranking of the ethnicities there because of apartheid. And just hearing that through his lens and his perception of growing up as a kid with that was, yeah, just really um, humbling. Yeah. Yeah. Another story that he told was about being a black doctor and how people don't necessarily respond to him in the same way. There's almost a lack of trust at that first interaction and that he has to work harder to build that credibility than he would if he were someone of a different color. Um, even though he has the same degrees, the same training, right? The same capabilities as someone who would have been a white doctor or an Asian doctor. And that was also quite eye-opening. Yeah, so it's a, it's a really winding and fun conversation that you know flashes back and forth between the present and the past. So mm-hmm. um, please meet our friend Bevan. Evan, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, gonna get right to it. You're you're not black. You're not white. You're not even American. <laughs> what are you, man? Well, <laughs> um, I'm kind of a mix of of uh, black and white and some other things. I'm originally from South Africa, and as you know, South Africa is very diverse. And I'm from a population in South Africa that we refer to as colored people. And we're just sort of a mix of everything, uh, mostly just white, black. Um, and then uh, there's some Indian and, and East Asian influences as well. Yeah, I think I've learned over the year that we've become friends that um, you are more Indian than me. And I'm, I'm really ashamed of that. Dude, my, yeah, my dad is 44% South Asian. Wow. I uh, know it's, it's, it's not even genetically. Yeah. Like, we had uh, we had a oh, yeah, party. Yeah. <laughs> so you mean like culturally? You're culturally more Indian. Than I'm like, I'm, we're like cooking whatever Western food we want to cook for our kids, and Bevan's like, "Oh, I made a curry all day. I've been stewing it," and he brings like an Indian curry that's like ten times better than anything I could do <laughs> to my house. I've been cooking curry for a long time, man. That's that's like a, a staple diet for me. That's what I grew up eating. So. Well, so when did you, t- tell me about like early life. When did you come over and, you know, all that stuff? Um, early life. When I, w- I was born in Durban, South Africa and spent the first six years of my life there. 
after that moved to Johannesburg. Um, and then at 13, got a golden ticket to come to the United States, um, which means my mom just married an American citizen. And he was like, listen, I'm heading back to the States. If you want, you can bring your two kids with you. That's kind of how we wound up here. And we moved to, we moved to Connecticut. So kind of like coming to America, except in Connecticut. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like that. And so it was you and your three siblings, Bevan? Yeah, two so it was siblings? me and uh, my younger sibling. And then the last one was born here. Wow. Um, and he's a half brother. Um, Got it. Yeah. And so and sure what totally not looking at that. Sorry, sorry, sure. Sorry, what, 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 I was about to like. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> I, was, I was right about to do that. So, so Bevan, tell us, tell us about a story from your, your childhood in Connecticut. In Connecticut? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I, I could tell you the first time I went to school because that, that was sort of the biggest, the biggest uh, sort of culture shock. Um, other than just like arriving here, we landed in like JFK and I saw the city and so forth. But going to school was really scary for me um, because I just didn't know uh, how I would be received. I guess the first thing, I mean, the thing is they, <laughs> when you go to school and they know you're from Africa, the first thing they ask you is, do you have a pet lion? Do you have a pet cheetah? Do you see elephants? And all those kinds of Did things. You? So, you? Uh, no, no, there's, there's oh, okay. not that many, uh, you know, in where people live in like neighborhoods and cities. But if you go out to like the game reserve and so forth, you can see those things. It's like if someone moved to the States and was just like, hey, show me wolves, show me bears. Right. And they landed in like JFK. You know what I mean? So, you don't have a bear? You don't have one? You didn't get one? one. You yeah. guys have bears. I do. Oh, we keep deer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess like moving here was just uh, that that was the biggest thing to get over is this people were just really interested in, in what Africa was like. And then, you know, that kind of, uh, sort of fell over into people making fun of you about certain things and so forth. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if that well, was really so, a good story. Something I've heard is from African Africans. Um, is, they well, is that not me? <laughs> no, I have other yeah. African African friends. You have oh, other yeah. African friends. All three. You're, you're my favorite African friend. Let's thank you. Well, no, South but, Africa uh, is the better of the Africas. I will say sure that. Sure it is. Sure it is. Apartheid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went there two minutes in. Um, <laughs> no, um, is that African people and African American people don't get along? And so, yeah. I guess my question for you is: you know, when you were in high school, did you did you interact with quote unquote black people? Um, or were there not any because you're in Connecticut or when you did, you know, like, what was that tension like? Because I only became aware of that a few years ago, that there's this tension between them. Yeah. It's kind of like where I was going with that story before. But, um, it, it, you know, when we first came here, obviously, the, the wh- whoever looks like you are the people that you're sort of drawn to. So obviously, like whoever looked like me, I wanted to be around them because I felt more comfortable around them. But what I found was, is that we're. And even looking back now, we're very different uh, compared to African-Americans, um, just culturally and, and, and I don't know how we think, I guess, and, and what our home sort of life is like. Uh, I will say that going to school, like the kids that were really interested in, in and there were a fair amount of black kids uh, at my school because they would bust them in from Hartford. But the kids that were really interested in getting to know me and what Africa was like and stuff were not the black kids. It was the white kids, the Asian kids, you know what I mean? Uh, and it was always like questions about sort of discovery and so forth. Whereas the black kids were the kids that were really <laughs> making fun of me. So, you know, you'd hear things like monkey and gorilla and stuff like that. And 
Um, there's some other things that I, you know, this is PG, as Sharon mentioned, uh, that they would say. But yeah, it was the hardest interaction among kids. It was definitely with African-American kids. It was just, they, they definitely, definitely made fun of me the most. And so did you feel a little bit as if you were both an ambassador for the country, for, for the groups of people who wanted to learn more? And then at the same time, um, who did you end up hanging out with then? Yeah, I mean, I didn't necessarily feel like I was an ambassador. Um, <laughs> that was a fancy word. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that part of that question. But I did end up hang, uh, hanging out more with uh, white kids and Asian kids a okay. lot more. I kind of moved towards them. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I felt ashamed uh, for being black. To this day, there's certain times where you kind of, that sort of comes to you. But as you get older, you kind of deal with that. As a child, yeah, I I certainly felt ashamed. Uh, You get made fun of. You're in a different country. It's a different culture. You don't have family here. It's, you know, and then you don't really have your accents different. So you don't have the the quick comebacks and so forth. So yeah, definitely, definitely felt ashamed. Definitely. There were definitely some nights, uh, some days I'd get home just feeling down and so forth. I wouldn't really tell my mom about it because she didn't really care. Um, but you know, yeah. Why didn't she care? What do you mean by that? Because she was, my mother's very, I don't know. She's just like, go to school, do school. I don't, you know, I don't care about anything else. So as far as making friends and stuff, she's, she was always of the mind of like, well, you're not there to make friends. You're there to learn. Uh, and that's mm. what it was. Yeah. Sounds pretty Asian to me. Yeah. That sounds very well, my Asian. Mom, I was going to say that too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from, from the time we got here, my mom um, basically said to us, you are not American. You are not like these people. Um, so she put that in our minds from the day we got here. I mean, I'll even tell, there was one time I went to go hang out with a white friend who lived two streets away from me. And we were, um, we were going to have dinner with these, with these family. And his mom was like making us hot dogs and he yelled at her saying that he didn't want hot dogs. And my mind was blown, blown, blown. I couldn't believe that this was happening. Because he was yelling. back. At yeah. Time. At yeah. his mother. And then he picked up the hot dog. His name was Steve. <laughs> and he threw it at her while she was at the kitchen oh sink God. and started laughing. And then he's like, just go hang out in my room. And we just like got up and left and went into his room. And I asked him, I'm like, isn't your mom going to like... <laughs> kill you for that i mean how <laughs> how is this happening like i, I, I want to hit, hit yeah seriously <laughs> i want to punish him for life <laughs> it just didn't make sense to me like I, I was completely blown away and then uh i went home and i a couple of days later um i got into a little bit of an argument with my mom and i you know like maybe channeling steve i'm not sure um i got kind of wordy with her i used the f word under my breath and <gasps> oh. <laughs> how old were you again and, oh. uh 14 Use the F word wow. under my breath uh, in my room. And, you know, moms, she has bat like hearing. Uh, and she was like, What did you say? And I looked back at her and I could, like, I was already like trembling. And she's like, Come up here. Because I was downstairs in the basement. And I start walking up the stairs and I'm walking up slowly. And as I get closer to her, closer and closer to her, I can just see the anger, like the steam, the flames just bursting out of her face. I get to the top of the stairs. And she goes, what did you effing say to me? And wow. I, was, I, I was just frozen. I couldn't say anything. She proceeds to kick me. <laughs> Child abuse. Me. <laughs> no, no, it, was okay. it was okay in the 80s, man. It was okay in the yeah, 80s. Disciplinary, I guess disciplinary actions. <laughs> <laughs> she kicked me. And I like 
fell down the stairs. I mean, it was fine. It was carpeted and everything. And it, it just kind of rolled down the stairs. Um, and then she shut the door. <laughs> she walked away. She didn't talk to me for like two days she after that. She gave you a timeout, a two yeah. day timeout. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, so I, I, you know, the, after that, I, I knew not to, to act American, quote unquote, around her. Yeah. So how are you different today from the kid that you were growing up? God, that's a good question. And I don't, um, I think about that a lot and I've, I sort of come to the point where I feel like I'm the exact same person. I really mm -hmm. do. I just with, um, more defenses in place to deal with, uh, things coming my way. Yeah. And do Does you that think make sense? that you're sort of, I mean, talk to us more about that. What do you mean by that? Like I just, with, you know, with time and, and sort of experience, um, you learn different ways to navigate the world. And I've just, I've just learned how to navigate the world around me. I have African-American friends today. Not a problem. Mm -hmm. We're not close, close. Um, I have no issue with African-Americans. I mean, I was throughout school. I was always in African-American community, African-American clubs and so forth. I, I used to tutor football players at UConn and so forth. So it's, I don't have an issue with, with the population. Um, but yeah, it's just, um, I, I guess, I guess I, I was able to sort of adjust and sort of, um, learn the culture and sort of put myself into it or, or at least sort of mock or, you know, like see, meet them at their level. Yeah. Um, and understand where they're coming from because it's, it's different. I used to, I used to hate them <laughs> because of, of what happened in my childhood, but they, they have it different here. It's a lot different. Um, that's not when a part you, different, but it's different. When did you start to understand? Well, actually, I want to I want to go back even for apartheid. Like we joked at it about at the top of the hour, but like, what was your experience with apartheid? Because you grew up on the tail end of it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I have a couple of memories from that time. Uh, I I know that when I was growing up, everyone looked like me to a certain extent. We lived in places that everyone was sort of these there was these just homogenous pockets of people so we lived uh in a colored community then the community next to us was uh, an indian community and then the white people lived like on the beach and then the native african people just i you never saw them unless they were coming to clean your house um and you could basically say whatever you wanted to them you could treat them how you wanted it didn't really matter like i remember that from from like growing up Black, Black South Africans just had nothing. Um, yeah, I remember being there and seeing a list at one of the museums, and it was a, literally a rank ordering. Uh, and I think it was obviously whites at the top and Native yes. Africans at the bottom. Yeah. And yeah. I don't remember what the difference was between Asians and coloreds, like which was on top. But it meant basically if you're further up the rung, you can treat the lower rungs like dirt. So when did you start to realize this is messed up? Or did you not? Because like I remember when I go back to Alabama, yeah. and it's different now, but I notice things that I just kind of took for granted. And my parents uh, remark on things that people are saying and even say some of those things like, mom, dad, that's not cool. And I've been living in the Northeast yeah. in like a blue progressive bubble for a while. Yeah. But I see it more now when I go back, but I couldn't see it because I had blinders on. So did yeah. you have blinders on or did you realize something was messed up? I realized something was messed up. Um, and I think that that, that is born out of um, having a, a, a father that's darker and a mother that's lighter. Because in the colored community, everything's about fairness, uh, how light your skin is. And if you come from a light-skinned family, you, you kind of stay around light-skinned people. Um, my dad was very dark, met my mom, obviously. 
had kids. And on my mom's side of the family, we could, I mean, there were, there were things said to us and we were treated certain ways. So we knew, you know, my brother and I knew for sure that, that something is messed up. And we sort of identified with the struggle that black Africans were going through at the time. Um, and then in 1994, I remember when uh, Nelson Mandela, he was president. Um, but he, he basically, I remember him being released. I remember like watching it on TV and my mom's sister had made a comment. Like she was just disgusted that he was getting out of prison. And I, I just couldn't believe. Wow. Yeah. And she was yeah, colored, could, right? She was colored. Yes. Yeah. But, but she's she was, very, very, very But she very was light. there light-skinned. Yes. Wow. But Mandela's, yes. but Mandela's light-skinned. Was he, he was, was he full black or was he colored? He's full black. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she was just, and I, I remember just looking at her and I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe right. like that she had said that. Um, and I kept quiet, of course, and so forth. But this is also the same woman that um, looked at me and my brother one time and said, my mother <laughs> said that our, our mother had wasted her genes on us. So, you know what I mean? And to this, like, we have a great relationship today and so forth. But Elaine and I, Elaine's my brother. Um, we still talk about these things and we'll never forget them. Um, and we just don't feel connected to my mother's side of the family because of this. Wow. And so just out of curiosity, your stepfather, then the one that she had married to come to the U S what's his racial background. So he is a black native South African. He was, he, his dad was one of the first educated native Africans, uh, back in the seventies or sixties. Um, and saw what was happening with the country and decided to leave. He went to Nigeria, then the UK, and then finally settled, um, in the Midwest, um, got his PhD in English, I think from Madison. Wisconsin, and then uh, moved down to South Carolina, where he was an English professor for many wow. years. So Maurice is my stepdad. He grew up mm-hmm. in the South, um, was uh, um, educated at MIT and Harvard, was working for um, United Technologies for Otis at the time, actually, uh, when he met my mom in South Africa, um, and then ended up coming back with her and us. That's so impressive. Was he more accepted by her side of the family or still not because of the color of his skin? So he was, but I don't know what the reasoning is, was behind that, right? Because at, at this point, they, when they had met, this was several years after, a lot of things had changed in the country. Mm-hmm. So, and even attitudes, like to this day, their attitudes are very different from back then. So there's that issue, but also the other issue, they, the, the other thing that they would always mention about him is that he was so educated, so they saw him differently. And this one one of the things that was sort of interesting to me, I saw that through education, there was this sort of this, this power of acceptance that you could get, you know, um, it was always, he, yeah, Maurice is a black, but you know, he went to Harvard. Um, but I like that so. there's a, but yeah, yeah. My uh, grandmother would say that all the time. She liked him. So hearing all that stuff in your ears and your subconscious as a kid, what did that make you think you wanted to be when you grew up? I knew I wanted to be a doctor. I knew. I, the thing is, I always did well at school. It didn't matter. Um, you know, it was sort of, I, I just did well at school all the time. Um, sometimes without trying, sometimes with trying. It just, I just did well at school. So it didn't, that didn't even like uh, affect me, I guess, on that level. Well, so, well, we talked about this a little bit um, in a, over beers a while back, but your desire to get into math and science had more to do with just trying to get around the bullshit that you were hearing. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, you mean with like with the religion and so yeah, forth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's it. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just from a young age. I mean, we were, 
we were brought up in the church. We were baptized and so forth. And, you know, my, my grandmother was super religious. Um, but I just never, it just never made sense to me. Um, and, and I, I just, I just didn't see the, I don't know. I just didn't feel it, man. I'll be honest with you. I, I went to, I've been going to church since as long as I can remember, but I've never, ever felt any sort of connection to anything. Um, and I don't know why. I wish I did. I'll be honest. I, I wish I did. Um, but it just, it just never happened for me. And I, I just, I felt like science um, and math offered answers that were more tangible and made sense to me versus, oh, just put it in God's hands or just pray for this. Things don't happen like that. Well, so how does that, how does that manifest in your career now? I mean, you're, by all intents and purposes in America, you're a black doctor. Yeah. And, you know, we've all been on the train or the bus or seen the TV show where they're like, is there a doctor around? And the doctor or the nurse comes running in. You've had some yeah. of those moments, but they didn't go well, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not, I mean, what do you mean they didn't go well? I can't remember what we, did people, what we discussed. I, did people respond to you in a different way or did they not believe that you could be a doctor? Gotcha. But it didn't, that's, that's what I'm trying. So it didn't even get that far. Remember when I told you that I, I kind of like waited, waited, waited and until someone else got to the person. Um, and if, if there was no other doctors or, uh, or anything, then I would have gotten and helped assisted the person, but it didn't even get there. Um, but I will tell you like, I, you know, being in the hospital and so forth, I've, I've seen many, many, many patients that are not my skin color and I haven't had an issue yet. I have not had an issue yet. And how I kind of went and, and I, when I felt like I was um, being judged or I felt like the, the patient in front of me wasn't trusting me or believing the words I was saying or maybe was doubting uh, my intelligence, um, I would, that's when I would sort of make an effort to bond with the patient, sit down and break down sort of complicated uh, medical jargon for them in sort of tangible bites so they can understand it. Uh, and it, when I do that, what I noticed is that when I did that and actually took time to get to know the patient, and explain their situation to them fully, um, they sort of repartnered and they, there was never really an issue after that. And that's usually the, my go-to tactic uh, when I feel like someone is sort of being standoffish for me for whatever reason. So when people are being standoffish, you tend to explain more or just to take the time to educate them and make them comfortable. Take the exactly. Take the time to educate them, make them more comfortable and, and, and relate to them and what they're going Got through. It. So if you could tell your past self anything, um, something that would help them to kind of get through the challenges that they were facing at the time, what advice would you give yourself? Um, I guess it, my biggest advice to myself, like going back and looking back, I think is don't, don't second guess yourself and don't waste time. Um, if you have an idea of something that you want to do, if you have it in mind, do it. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait for the next day. Forget about procrastination. Get on it and do it. If you hear no, doesn't matter. Keep going. Um, it took me many years uh, to, to sort of get over that. Because, you know, people say certain things to you and it sort of hits your pride and so forth. And you, you live with it for a little bit and you, you never get to where you want to go because you're so fixated on what someone said to you. Someone told you no. So what if they said no? Go ask another person. Go knock on another door. Um, I would go back and tell myself that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, and so you've, you're an interesting case in that you are, 
you've lived kind of between two worlds, right? And mm -hmm. between many different skin tones. And yeah. how do you, when you think about identity and race and culture, how would you describe that? Like, do you consider yourself to be an American now? Do you still consider yourself to be a South African? Where does that fall? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it's, it's, that's again, that's such a hard question. I, I see myself, I like to see myself sometimes as a little bit of a chameleon because I, I found that it, I could fit into most environments. Um, but I, I think overall, I consider myself an African-American male. Uh, I go back to South Africa. I, I, I think I've changed uh, a little bit. I just can't understand them sometimes. And so sort of their narrow worldviews and their religion and so forth. It's, it's, I don't have much of a connection to them other to people back there other than like it's my family um and my brother and i both share that same thing um and then here i definitely consider myself an african-american male i identify uh, as that um uh, but again i feel like i walk like you said like I, I walk the line between many different things i'm able to be in a group of white males and be totally fine white females and be fine a group of asian chicks and be fine um so i have a i have a group of asian friends at school so um yeah well you went back right you went back for like a year and then you a year came back. yes i did so yeah, why'd you I, did. I mean why'd you go back and then why'd you decide nah it's not for me i need to come back to america yeah i i just I, at that point i um i just wasn't having a good time <clears throat> with my stepdad um you know it was sort of the you know my real dad kind of thing and I just felt like I needed my father. Uh, I felt like I wanted to, to to live with my dad. I didn't feel like my mom was supportive of me. I thought she was more interested in her relationship with the man she was married to. And uh, I feel like he had taken my mom away from me. So um, I, was, I was a kid. Um, so I just I just wanted to be like live with my dad for a little bit, get to know him. Um, so I went back and I, I just reconnected with my dad and lived with him. But then you came back, right? I mean, you came back. I did America. come back. Be yeah, I came back because... You know, educational opportunities are just, there's just so many more here. Do you um, think that's when you started to feel American? Uh, I don't know. I don't know yeah. when I started to feel American. I'm sure that, you know, I don't know. It's possible. So, I don't think so. So when you run into someone on the street and they say, where are you from? What do you say? <laughs> I always say I was born in South Africa and I moved here when I was 13. That's, uh, you, that's you, all I you say. Fill in that's, all the blanks. that's always your... <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I right. That's the narrative. I, 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 did. Wow. I went on 23 interviews last year, and that's what I would say. Like, where are you from? Born in South Africa, moved here when I was 13. I have a friend mm -hmm. I grew up with who hates it when we're like, we, we both went to college in Alabama together, and we might be like in the Middle mm -hmm. East or in South America backpacking, right? And we go to a bar, meet a fellow backpacker, like, where are you from? And I'm like, New York. And he's like, no, you're not. You're from Alabama. How dare you come to Alabama? Like, well, I left. I pay taxes, man. Um, all right. So there's another element of your life that to like into the melting no, pot mosaic. Let me go ahead. Can I ask yeah. you something? Do you feel like you're like? Do you feel like you're a southerner? Do you feel like you're from Alabama? Do you actually feel like? Here, here's what I'd say, man. I think the way you, you connect answer with that those question, people. I mean, I, I keep Those a rebel people. flag in my backyard. Yeah, you roll tide. No. Um, um, it's my fun fact. And I feel like that's what you're doing too, man. I'm calling you out as a friend because in an interview yeah. process, you need to differentiate yourself, right? Any yeah. edge you can get. And it is part yeah. of your identity. Like who I am as an Indian American 
is absolutely shaped by the fact that I was one of 15 Indian families. I didn't grow up in yeah. Atlanta or Houston around a bunch of Indian people. I don't speak Hindi. And so yeah. it's absolutely part of my identity. It's absolutely my fun fact. But um, I have divorced myself from that part of my life. I go back to see my parents and that's about it. I, I don't watch a lot of Alabama football. You know, I, I do like <laughs> Leonard Skinner. I do like the Allman Brothers, but you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, okay. So the other part of your mosaic, Bevan, is mm -hmm. um, like Sharon and myself, you're in an interracial relationship and you have mixed kids. Like, I mean, how did you navigate that part of your life and bring, and, and uh, we're good friends with each other's spouses, but like, how did you bring her home into your life? And what did your family, how did your family react to all of that? Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't... I don't know. Like the girls I brought home before Ashley uh, weren't really well received, but I, I'm not sure if if it was for the reason of of sort of race and whatever. I knew my mom would be accepting of anyone that I brought home that I truly loved and cared about. I really, I really did believe that, and that's what I saw. Like if I brought just a girl I was dating home, um, it was always my mom was kind of lukewarm to them. But uh, I knew before I brought Ashley home, we dated for, and, and Ashley also is, is someone I dated for a while before deciding to, to introduce her to my family. Um, because I just kind of wanted to go ahead. What is Ashley's background? She's, um, white. She's from Maine. Got it. Yeah. She came over on the Mayflower. She came over <laughs> <laughs> Is that where the she's Maine from? Flower. She, she from? came, she came she over from? on the Mayflower. <laughs> um, yeah, so I didn't, and then also I, I don't know. I, and again, anyone I brought home, if I was truly uh, into them, uh, my mom would be fine, and so would my my family. My brother met her first, and he loved her. And I, if my brother loves her, then it was it's a done deal. Aww, so my my, my daughter's starting sweet. to ask. My daughter's starting to ask about her own identity right now, right? So is mine. Um, yeah. How are you answering? What is she asking? How are you answering these I, questions, Jordan? dude? I I I don't know, man. Like, cause. I so she she said to me the one day we we're in the car and she was like, "Hey, Daddy, how come you're black?" And <laughs> I was like, "Well, yeah, why, why, um, Daddy? Why are you black? Yeah, Daddy? why are you why are you a black?" Um, so I was like, <laughs> "I was like, everyone is different colors. Like, I'm black, Mommy's white." And then before I could even get to her, she was like, "And Belle's black. Belle's white too." And I was like, mm. and I remember we were at a traffic light. And I'm like, you have to make a decision here. Uh, you know, like, and I vehemently, I was just like, you're not, you're not white. <laughs> you're not white. You're not at all white. And she looked very perplexed and confused. Um, and for right now, we're going with, you're a mix of black and white. So we just leave it at that. When she gets older, we're sort of filling the gaps for her. So since then, she's just said, you know, and Belle's mixed. Belle is mixed. Belle's mixed. <laughs> um, but I, I'm going to break it to her when she's a little bit older and be like, listen, you're actually black. You're black. You're yeah. a black woman. Well, America um, sees you that way. Yeah. It's, exactly. exactly. That's what America sees you like. And uh, the thing is, that if I say it to her now, she just, it, it, she doesn't accept it because she can't. She looks in the mirror and she's like, well, I don't look like the same color as you. Um, Sharon, but, your kids are half black. How do, how do they react to that? They are, I think what's interesting about my kids is they are in an international school. Um. And so they're one of the few kids that are truly American, meaning they were born here and they live here. And so even though their skin tone is like, 
kind of a medium to dark shade of brown and no one really knows what their background is till they see myself and my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they believe that they're American. And so that's kind of like culturally they would, mm-hmm. they would t- tell you that they're American. Yeah. And so I guess my question to you, Bevan is does Belle ever ask about culture? Yet has she gotten to that point where she's understanding whether it's culture through food or tradition or songs, things like that? Like, do you ever share that with her in those ways? No, um, no, I haven't. And she she hasn't really asked about that. Um, that's interesting. She does like the food I cook, but she also likes, you know, the mac and cheese and the hot dogs right. and stuff like that. She so, know Africa's a place. She does know Africa's a place. She knows daddy is from Africa and lions are from Africa. Um, did yeah, she ask she you about where are your pet lion? <laughs> <laughs> did you have a pet lion, monkey man? <laughs> I, I, have to, um, I have to give a quick aside. So Chinese zodiac daughters have Chinese, and um, she's a monkey. She was born in the year of the monkey, and I call her a monkey. And when we're out in public, especially in Westchester or Connecticut, which is very vanilla, I feel really because <laughs> sometimes I'm like, "Hey, little monkey," and I'm like, "Oh no." <laughs> How many black people or white people aren't listening? Uh, <laughs> I think that's fine, though. A lot of people call the kids monkey, though. A lot we yeah. call Bell monkey, and there's a lot of people do that. I think it's fine. Yeah. Now, if loving, we're out in public and you call term. me monkey, that may be an issue. <laughs> I need like a signed affidavit for my. Bl- I have a black friend. He said I could say this. <laughs> I'm a card carrying member of the black <laughs> friend. <laughs> <laughs> I give money to the ACLU. I'm okay. <laughs> oh my god, it's very funny. Does um does she does your daughter have a relationship with your mom? Like, do they see each other often? Yeah, yeah. She uh they they I mean, my mom's in Montreal. Okay. So and then Ashley's family's up in Maine. So they're about six to seven hours away from us, both of them. Uh, so what we try and do every year, at least twice a year, for each of the grandparents is send Bell up to spend a week with them so yeah so she was uh up in montreal with my mom um in january and then last week she was up in maine with uh, ashley's parents mm-hmm. so okay. yeah and they, they have a decent relationship my mom absolutely loves her my mom sees herself in bell uh she sees her she sees bell she my mom sees my daughter basically as like herself reincarnated um she absolutely loves her um okay. and then ashley's parents absolutely i mean love her to death um yeah that's great um so you're a doctor there's a lot going on in this world Mm. right now Mm. what are what are some of your thoughts on all of it any of it um i think first and foremost the response has been trash obviously like it's it's just it's been terrible we we should have i think ram and i were talking about this uh the other night when we were drinking aronas outside but to be clear, it, we, we were drinking Coronas. Coronas. During Corona. <laughs> <laughs> um, In support and solidarity of the cause. <laughs> of the cause. <laughs> Proud sponsor of model minorities. Uh, Corona. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Corona. Oh <laughs> the beer and the virus. Um, <laughs> my two biggest concerns were, I mean, my, the one is over, right? We, we should have prepared much early. We knew about this stuff from way back. There's papers from 2012, 2013 talking about the coronavirus sort of epidemic wow. yeah way back because SARS is like in the same group of, yeah. of, of viruses so um it's 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 been discussed for a while and then we knew about the the Wuhan stuff before the end of December 
we knew this was coming. We've learned now that GOP members sold off stock when they were getting briefed on this and so forth. So I think the response has been abysmal um, and it has cost lives. We learned that there's this guy in Arizona now, I think it was, that took chloroquinone uh, because Trump said, take this. Um, and he, he died from taking that medication. And then the right. other thing, the, the most important thing for me is, is, is um, you know, having equipment to take care of these people and to defend yourself. Um, I have friends in, in hospitals right now who are using uh, sheets and so forth to like for masks because there's no mask, there's no gloves. Everything's just been used up so fast. Uh, one of my friends, he goes to the hospital, he changes there, he does what he has to do there um, and then um, takes off all his clothes, showers, gets home, showers uh, to make sure that he's clean. So I think, I think it's important to recognize, for me, I just want doctors, nurses, physician assistants, all sort of, all healthcare providers to be taken care of during this time because they're the ones um, um, at the front lines here. Like this, this is equivalent of like sending someone to war, right? If you don't have a mask and gloves and a gown, like you're sending an, a soldier to war with like, without a gun um, right. or armor, or it yeah. just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, or like and we have tons of that. We have tons of that because, you know, the U.S. spends so much money on the military. But, you know, a, a mask for a doctor in America, this is unheard of. Unheard of. Like, it's crazy to me um, that, that we're having the shortage. So th those are my big concerns. Yeah. Um, but I think this is going to get a lot, lot, a lot worse um, before it gets better. I mean, we're not sure when this episode's going to come out. And I think we're going to be in the thick of it when people hear this. But what should we be doing? I think we all have ideas. Sharon and I have had some debates, right? And we're both in the same point of view right now. But like, as a as a physician, who's a father, who's a citizen, right? Like, what should what should we be doing? I think we should be taking notes and being pay, and pay paying attention to what has happened to Italy versus South Korea. I think we need to stay home. I think everything needs to be shut down fully. I think it needs to go even further than what's been going on. Now he's talking about opening up businesses again. It should, it should be completely shut down. It's the only way. It's no other way. Yeah, I think we so have to stay accept. home. Stay home. Stay home and accept what, what it is. Yeah, stay home, man. Like, if you can, it sucks. Like, the economy's going to suck. It's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to hurt. But the longer we hold off on this, the longer this thing's going to last. I was hoping you would tell us that everything would just be better. Every, <laughs> I, everything, Sharon, everything is going to be, be better, but it, it just... As a matter of time, you know what I mean? It's how soon can it be better? Um, and, and then, you know, sometimes I was thinking to myself last night, I was like, well, there's a lot of people on this planet. Maybe some, never mind. You know, because <laughs> I don't know. Like, is this, is, this, is, this, is this the Earth's immune system killing right. the virus, which are the humans destroying it? You yeah. know? Yeah. That's what they said so, in the Matrix. Just, the Earth is sick of us. us. Dude, yeah. we're... Yeah, we're a plague. We're a plague to this planet. We just destroy, 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 use, destroy. It's terrible. I think, I think, um, I saw, I saw a great meme today. Um, something like, I think I'll send it to you, but it's like, um, <laughs> it's like Spider Man talking to Uncle Ben and he says, it's like, um, God, I wish I could say I'm going to mess it up right now, but it's like, oh, the old, the, the young person, Spider Man is saying to Uncle Ben, hey, you know, let's save the planet. There's not going to be much of us left because of global warming and the old dude's like, yeah, whatever. And then in the next clip, it's like the old dude like, hey, stay home. Otherwise, you're going to hurt all the old people. And Spider-Man's like, yeah, not my problem. 
you, so, you know, Bevan, we were talking about this the other day when, you know, our, my daycare is about to open back up because, and, and they're opening yeah. for essential people who have to go to work to work at grocery stores, health workers, et cetera. Um, and you were like, Roman, if you can afford to stay home, stay home because yeah. young people, this is affecting young people um, yeah. as well. It's not just old people. And I think people are starting to wake yeah. up to that. Yeah. I think I saw an article today of a 39 year old woman that died from it. Um, and like her last text was like, I don't want to die alone, but no one could go visit her. Um, you can certainly, certainly, certainly die from this. Like it's unlikely that you would, but you, this could be fatal for you. Um, yeah, but we're not seeing it really hurt people in the pediatric population. Um, but they could still spread it. So I personally, I, I read, I read the email, uh, that you sent, uh, and they're going to do all the temperature, the, the, sorry, sorry, the, they're going to check temperatures and fevers and stuff. You don't have to have a fever to, for this. That doesn't yeah. need, you don't, yeah, doesn't, you don't need to have a fever. You could have upset stomach and have it. Um, the, the presentation of the disease is so variable um, that, and that's the issue they're having. We just, we need tests and we need PPE, you know, period. And you need to right. stay home. So stay home and listen to podcasts. That's what stay home, African doctor either listen to a podcast or like make a podcast. <laughs> that's what <laughs> we're doing. That's exactly yeah. what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Sharon? Speed around? So. I think it's yeah this this is really good stuff so now i think we're ready for speed round are you ready for speed round bevan yeah let's go what's one thing about you that no one expects and you can't say anything I'm about really africa good. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> covered that part. um yeah sure uh i'm a really good swimmer is that, is that a racist thing like is that why you said that <laughs> yeah yeah, because anytime I get into the ocean or the pool and I'm just kicking ass, people are like, wait, hold, what? What? Whoa, whoa. You yeah, can't be I'm a really good swimmer. By the way, I didn't know exactly. that was a thing. I didn't can't know dunk. that was a thing until like Cannot five years dunk. ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know that was a thing that pe- black people can't swim until my brother in law's black. And he told me about that. And yeah. I was like, what? Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a thing. It's a thing. Yeah. Even, even in South Africa, like African, Native Africans are. Terrified of the the water, they don't swim. Nice. I have a friend yeah. of Nigeria. I'm like, dude, let's get in this pool. Let's swim. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not. I don't want to be on anything that takes me off my feet. I was <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> all right. Do you go on airplanes? He's like, yeah, but I'm standing on the ground in the airplane. I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> what? <laughs> what's um, what's a book or a movie that that you just really relate to? Um. <laughs> Devil's Advocate, Keanu Reeves and uh, um, Al Pacino. Al Pacino, yeah, yeah, that's a good Wait, one. Do you relate movie. to do you relate to Al Pacino who plays the devil or or Keanu no, Reeves? I, I, Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves, yeah, 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 Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves for some reason. Yeah, for some reason. you just want yeah. to say I'm not, not going to explain that. I'm not going to expand on it. to speed round. I, I relate to that okay. movie. Period. Um, next one. What's your favorite mom dish? Wait, what's a mom dish? You got to educate me on this. It's what your mom makes. What's the favorite? Oh, oh, what, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, to do. Oh, there's so many. The, uh, I'll go with chicken curry, straight up. Is that I the swear curry. to God, you were totally like um, racially yeah, appropriating me, Devin. This is not cool. Dude, chicken curry, or even I'll go mutton, mutton curry, but then you pour it into a loaf of bread and you eat it with your hands. It's called a bunny chow. Amazing. 
Oh, Ooh. sounds amazing. Yeah. That's and then true. the side salad is grated carrots, chilies, and vinegar. Oh, man. It's the best. What's your, the best. What's your least favorite food? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Granola. <laughs> Granola's weird. I feel like granola's weird. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's just I can't get into a granola, man. It's just, it's uh, our, too... LL, our LL Bean population is like unsubscribing as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> and Ashley loves granola. She, I feel like she had it this morning with peanut butter and like yogurt. And I was like, what? what? It's all right. White people food. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Who's someone who is someone that you might want to interview on a podcast? If you could interview anybody, who would that be? Mm. Mm. This is going to be a really easy one, but it's just uh, Barack Obama. I would just love I, I would love to just have just I don't even want to interview him. I just want to like be around him. Just I want to touch him. I just want to touch him <laughs> and just be around him and talk to him, pick his brain and just hang out for like a week with him on like a beach somewhere. And we just talk. That'd be yeah. amazing. That would be absolutely amazing. God. I feel like um, in this podcast, Sharon, we have to ask that question as who's someone that you want to interview that is not Barack Obama? Because everyone's saying that. And I totally agree with that. You know what? You know what? I'll change my answer then. Nelson Mandela. Is that better? (laughs) (laughs) Last question, Bevan. What does being a model minority mean for you? Hmm. It it means exactly, uh, wow. It means to me what my mom said to me when we were kids, when we moved here. Um, she said, you are not American. You are not like any of these people. You are an African boy. You are from Africa. You came here because you came here to succeed. Um, and I think, I mean, that's not eloquently stating it, but all those ideas sort of together um, make a model minority in my mind. You come here and you achieve and you succeed. Um, and you take advantage of opportunities afforded to you here um, because you know that from where you come from, those things don't exist. Um, so you hold on to them really, really, really tightly. Um, and you, you try and make the best of yourself. Um, and then another part of that, and which I think that a lot of minorities forget, well, model minorities forget or people that come here from other countries is like going back and giving back. I think that that's part of it too. Um, you, if you've achieved something, I think it's always important to go back and uplift your people in some way. Bevan, thank yeah. you so much. This was such a pleasure. It was really, really I feel great like... to get to know you. And <laughs> this is wonderful. So thank you so much for spending time with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Sharon. What, what about me? I don't get a thanks back, Bevan. <laughs> Well, dude, we're we're don't we have a date coming up? Like a, like a virtual date. date. We have a Corona date. Yeah, we have something coming up, don't we? Yeah. Seriously, brother, this is this is great. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. For more about this episode, links to things mentioned, or to join the conversation, visit monmypod.com. We'd love to hear from you. And here's a preview of our next episode. I'm really, really proud of my parents because I know that it wasn't easy for for them. They have been just so open and so just full of love and my choices and my decisions, you know, about who I love. Um, because in Jamaican culture, that is just a very hard conversation. Yeah. 
That's it for now. I've been Raman Segal. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all model minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.